Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We all do it. We all think we know better. We know what's right. We know what's good. At least, good for us. We all do it. We're all experts in our own lives. What we want, what we need, and how to get what we want and what we need. We all do it. Children think they know better than their parents. Employees think they know better than their bosses or managers. Players think they know better than their coaches. Pastors think they know better than their district presidents. Drivers think they know better than the traffic laws. And where else? Where do you do it? Because we all do it. And then this too, of course. We think we know better than God. That's why we sin, after all. Doing what we want, not what God wants. That's why we disagree with certain things in the Bible, questioning God and his ways and his love. We know better. And, well, I think he should do things my way and agree with me. Just like my boss should and my parents should and my coach should and the laws should. Do it my way. And then this world would be a better place. Right. We don't put it like that, though, so crassly. We make what we think, what we want, sound good, not rebellious. We call it fairness, freedom, reason, love. And maybe when it comes to people in the world, we do sometimes know better. But when it comes to God, good and pious sounding names and rationalizations don't change the fact of what we're doing. Going our own way and expecting God to bless us in it. That's what the Pharisees had done at the time of Jesus. They had lots of rules and traditions that they made sound pious and holy and made them look pious and holy, but that weren't good at all. One of them was this thing Jesus mentioned in the Holy Gospel today, something called korban. To explain what that was in a modern way of thinking, it was as if I made out my will. And I said in it that after I die, all my earthly possessions, all my stuff I give to God. So after I die, all I have is his. So really, it's all his now. But until I die, I get to use it. But, and here's the kicker, I can use it. But I can't use any of it for, like, you know, taking care of other people, like my parents. For then, I would be robbing God of what's his. So, mom and dad, I'm sorry, you're on your own. I promised I core bond everything to God. 
Oh, what a holy person that Pharisee is. He's giving all that he has to God. But Jesus thinks otherwise. That's not what God wants. That's not what he commanded. That's not good and holy and pious at all. God said, honor your father and your mother. Honor them as God's representatives for you. To take care of you and provide for you. And you, in turn, obey them, love them, serve them, cherish them. Take care of them. That's God's good order. And this Korban thing, no. You are making void the word of God by your tradition, by what you think is good, by what you think is better than the word of God. So stick to God's word. Okay, that's pretty clear. That's pretty easy, maybe obvious, especially to Christians. So let's dig a little deeper. Here's really what I want to think about a bit today. Why? Why? Why should we stick to God's word? Why should we do what he says? Why does it matter? Some would simply say, because that's the rules. That's the commandments. Like when children ask their parents, why do I have to? And the parents say, because I said so. Right? All you kids out there, that doesn't really fly, does it? It's not a good answer. And you parents out there, it might be right, but it's not a good answer. And it's not really why we should stick to God's word and do what he says either. Because what that does is it makes the Bible a rule book. Just a book of do's and don'ts because God said so. But the Bible's not a rule book. It has rules and commandments in it, but it's not a rule book. You may have heard an old acronym that's out there for the Bible, that the Bible is... Basic instructions before leaving earth? No. That's not it at all. The Bible is a Jesus book. It is the book that teaches us about Jesus. Who he is and what he has done for us. And so it is a book that teaches us about God. And all that he is and does for us. Because that's what you need to know. He, not rules, is what saves us. So what happens then when we change God's word? What what happens when we change a book that is all about Jesus? What happens when we substitute something else for what he said? then we change the way we think about God. And not for the better. So take, for example, the Pharisees' thing here, this korban. How would that tradition change the way people thought about God? 
Well, basically, it's saying that God doesn't want you to take care of your parents. He wants your money instead. What kind of a God is that? Or how about some modern day examples? If we can be whoever we think we are, and that doesn't have to do anything with how we were born or any objective physical reality, then I would say that influences how we think about God. That God made a mistake when I was created. Or if what I think determines reality, then God is whoever or whatever I think God is or should be. Think also about marriage, which Paul talked about in the epistle today. Marriage has undergone a lot of changes recently, redefinition. Does it matter? Besides God simply wagging his finger at us and saying, because I said so. Well, Paul says yes. Because he says our earthly marriages reflect a greater reality. Because this one flesh thing, this submission thing, this laying down your life thing, this faithfulness thing, Paul says, I'm talking about Christ and his bride, the church. So mess up marriage. And we mess up how we think about God. And we have messed up marriage, haven't we? And I'm not even talking about stuff that's happened recently. It it goes way back before that. How many think marriage is optional, just, just a piece of paper? Or that divorce is normal, natural, and acceptable? That marriage has nothing to do with sexuality and children. I can have those things without being married. I don't think it's a coincidence that the many changes we see in our culture have gone hand in hand with many changes in how people think of God. You can argue about which came first, but they most certainly go together. And so what has happened is this. We've lost our faithful unto death, loving giving, merciful, gracious God, because we thought we knew better. Better than his loving, giving, mercy, and faithfulness. And although perhaps we didn't set out to do this, by thinking that we know better than him, we've remade him into our image. And that's most certainly not better. And that's why Jesus is upset in the Holy Gospel we heard today. It's not about rules and sin. Jesus knew the Pharisees were sinners, and he knew the people then were sinners, and he knows you and I are sinners, rule breakers, transgressors. That's not a surprise. That's why he came, precisely to forgive our sin, to deal with our sin by taking it upon himself and dying on the cross with it, to take our place in death so that we might live. That's who God is. That's what he's come to do. But the Pharisees, by their rules and traditions, were making God into something else. 
a law enforcement God, a punisher, a taskmaster, a because I told you so God. We need to think about that today as well. The creation reflects its creator. It is good and it is orderly, but if we change it because we think it's not good and we know better, how are we also changing what we think about God? That he is also not good. That we know better than him. Isn't this to do what Isaiah said today? To honor God with our lips. But our hearts are far from him. It is the pot accusing the potter of not making us or not making us right. Or having no understanding at all. That is a dangerous game to play. It's really no game at all. So, as God said through the prophet Isaiah, because of all this, it's not new, because of all this, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men, or maybe we could translate that, the wisdom of their so-called wise men, shall perish. Now, what does that mean? What will God do? A wonderful or wonder-filled work, well, it could be either good or bad. It was, it's just a work that creates wonder and awe. So, so what is God going to do? What does this mean here? Is he going to wonder us with his wrath against sin and our rebellion? Or wonder us in some other way? Well, Isaiah goes on to say what he's talking about, what that wonder will be. He says, in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. And all that is, of course, what happened when Jesus came. When the word of God wasn't because I said so, but when the word of God became flesh. When, because we kept messing God up, Jesus came to show us who God really is and what God is really like. And what God really wants to heal us and save us from sin and death. And not just to show us, but to do it. To be God for us. To be a faithful husband to his bride. To be the God merciful and gracious. To be the God who gives himself for his people, for his creation. That our sins be forgiven and our life be restored. That's who God is. And yes, even the rules and commandments of God are for this purpose. 
They are to protect us and to protect the gifts that God has given to us. His gifts of parents and family. His gift of life. His gift of marriage and sexuality. His gift of possessions. His gift of a good name. His gift of peaceful and quiet heart. His gift of himself. And his name and his word. That as his bride we have all that we need. And rejoice in our heavenly bridegroom and his goodness. Not looking to ourselves and what we do in the name we can make for ourselves. But looking to our Savior and what he has done for us. And the name he has given to us. His name put upon us in holy baptism. And so to keep God's word to do what he says... It's not something to do to get something from God because you already belong to Him and all that is His is yours. And we don't keep God's word because He says simply, because I said so. And you have to. That's what slaves do, not sons and daughters. Rather, keep His word and treasure it and follow it because we're treasuring and following not just words in a book but a word and fleshed. Jesus. Because he is my savior. Because he gives me life and hope and a future. I don't want to change the word because I don't want to change Jesus or lose what he's done for me. For when you look at Jesus, you don't see an I told you so God or a because I said so God. But an I died for you God. Not a law enforcement God, but a forgiving God. Not a taskmaster God, but a serving God. Not a God that you're unsure of. But a God who is faithful to his bride, to you, even to death. And now this faithful bridegroom, who in the words of St. Paul has washed you clean, that you be without spot of sin or wrinkle of death, that you be holy and blemished, without blemish, just as he is. Now this bridegroom feeds you with himself. As we heard the last few weeks, the bread of life, to give you life, his life, life that will never end. Your great sin overwhelmed by his even greater forgiveness. Your fearsome death overcome by his even more wonderful resurrection. Because as his bride, all that is his is yours. That as Isaiah said, your eyes see, your ears hear, and your heart will exult. That's who God is. That's who God is for you. And when we fill our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts with what is not his word, we miss all that. And we are less, not better for it. Because better, far better than changing the word is for the word to change you. To change you from death to life. From uncertain to confident. From sinner to saint. From alone to family. A child of your heavenly father. And he has. He has. 
you have his word on it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.